Welcome to Demand Does the Six Questions, where the same six questions can tell a unique story. I am your host, Demand, father of two, husband of one, and leader of this here Demondcast. Thank you if it's your first time, and thank you if it's your next time for joining us on Demand Does. Uh, before we get started, please remember to leave a five-star review wherever you downloaded this from. Leave some notes or comments or whatever because it helps the show grow. It's I don't know how it works, but that's those are the rules, and that's what we're going with. And now, on to the review. Mission Impossible is a very specific review podcast that focuses only on the Mission Impossible franchise. And that includes the TV show and the Tom Cruise movies as well. Did you know that the current movies are in the same continuity as the TV show? Yeah, me either. The intro music fits the show perfectly and sounds different enough from the original to keep getting sued. Each episode starts off with some banner before they get into the review. I love that Nathan and his various co-hosts start with each review with a discussion of the mission briefing, which the series is known for. Then they get into the show proper by taking turns, talking about what they like and didn't, and it's a great blend of jokes and insight, which I always appreciate. Each show ends with the host and guest rating the show on a 1 to 5 scale for quality, which is common. This is what I like, though, that they add a little bit different. They also do the same for silliness, which is perfect for a 60s spy show, which is parodied by the uh, Austin Powers movies, as movies, TV, and technology has changed so much since then. They also have guests and interview people who have worked on some of these movies and shows, whether they be actors, screenwriters, etc., editors, that sort of thing. I want to take a second also to acknowledge how they structure their seasons. Each one starts with a review of one of the Tom Cruise movies, and each one after that is an episode review or interview. It then ends with a season review of the whole season. My biggest complaint, honestly, is that they haven't started the third season yet, and it's been a few months. I appreciate the fact that they are not experts of the show when they started, and it's awesome. I also appreciate the addition of related audio, not necessarily related to the show, to break up the conversation a bit. If you decide to binge Mission Impossible, this would be a good companion podcast to listen to. And now, the main event. The Six Questions. Originally hailing from the wretched hive of scum and villainy known as the Midwest, my guest grew up a movie, Super Freak, straight Rick James style, worshipping the James Bond franchise and all things related to Cold War era spycraft. So much so that he has a podcast talking all about it, but with a different franchise. We'll get to that, and you'll figure it out in just a second as we welcome from Mission Impossible, Nathan Flynn. What an energetic opening. Glad <laughs> to be here, Damon. Thank you. Thank you for taking time out to talk to a perfect stranger. How you doing? Hey. Everybody's a stranger till you get to know them. I'm, I'm just totally quoting 21 Jump Street, but I'm doing fine. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm doing fine. I mean, we were we were just talking off mic uh, about, you know, the status of the world and everything. I'm doing fine as is where I'm at, but there is that sense of uncertainty that we feel in this time that will never quite go away, but it's something that, you know, when we look back at it i hope that this uncertainty is just 
false like spider senses that we're all having. So where would you like to be found on the interwebs? So on the interwebs, you can find me on Twitter at Nathan Flynn. You can also find my podcast, Mission Impotable, wherever you find your podcasts. Spotify, iTunes, GeoSavin, which apparently exists and is a thing that I, I don't know. I've never heard of it. I think it's the reason why we have a really rabid Indian fan base, because I know it's India-based. Wow. But beyond that, I've got a few things in development right now, but if I'm famous for anything, it's starting a project and then not having it go to fruition. <laughs> you can find me mostly on Twitter raving about movies that people will be like, seriously nobody remembers that movie that movie doesn't exist which you know it's what it is i always just like to spread a little bit of positivity about film that is uh my mantra and you grew up loving movies right yeah yeah no so when i was growing up i, I grew up in a farmhouse uh oddly enough which is not where anybody pictures me nor myself i grew up on a lot of 60s television Chiefly Green Acres, Mission Impossible, Batman, all your stuff, because TV Land was constantly playing. And my parents have like impulse buy uh, of any VHS tapes. So we just had like this, this tower that was almost like the monolith in 2001, where I would just pick out a movie from there. And oftentimes, being a kid, I would just constantly keep cycling through the Burton Batmans and the Schumacher Batmans until my parents literally got so upset that I just kept rewatching them that they locked them away for a bit, <laughs> drop something, locked them away for a bit. And I ended up exploring newer movies, chiefly the James Bond movies for a while, which don't hold up nearly as well as I would like for them to. But there is that nostalgia that I have for it and got into spy films throughout that, but then just got more and more into cinema. Mainly whenever I'd ask my parents like, hey, do you know any other good spy movies? And they'd be like, yeah, Fletch starring Chevy Chase. I mean, I'm not, I'm not so sure that uh, qualifies, but okay, uh, and, and it doesn't. So I just would keep going through different movies, different movies, and I ended up broadening my horizons more and more. I've been in love with film ever since I could feel the static on those old TV sets. Nathan Flynn, are you ready to answer the six questions? Yes. Uh, what would be your favorite color? No, I'm just kidding. Hit me. Question number one. When did you know you wanted to get into podcasting? This is a tough one for me because I really can't pinpoint a time. I originally was writing a lot of film critique, mainly on a site called spill.com that later got destroyed <laughs> like overnight. So all of my, I say destroyed, it got bought out by hollywood.com and then was removed afterwards. And it, it was a film critique website that I'm sure a few people listening to this have heard before. It now has mainly continued its spirit onto a podcast called Double Toasted, a few other podcasts outside of that, and a site that I worked for for a while called oneofus.net. And I was kind of mostly done with film critique after having like years of it burned away overnight and really wanted to get into screenwriting. And I had an accident that happened to me in around 2019 where I was riding one of those scooters, the bird, the lime, the whatever you call it. Mm -hmm. And I hit a bump 
on my way to a bar, not coming from a bar, but like on my way to a bar. And I fucked up my thumb, have like a cut somewhere on there. And I was just, you know, stuck in bed, not really able to work. And a friend of mine, George Hickman, came up to me and said, hey, dude, how about you just start doing reviews for uh, oneofus.net? And it was all audio reviews. So it doesn't give me the daunting idea of like typing in stuff uh, all day and like slamming my head up against the keyboard and all that. So I start doing this and we were just doing a sub podcast called Screener Squad, where you mainly cover new releases, your Netflix, your whatever, and COVID hit. And that ended up becoming everything that's being released. So it ended up becoming more of a big task. And I more often than not would hear people get ready to start up a review. And I'd be like, you know, I got an idea of how you can open this, or I, I, I could do this. And I had a few ideas for podcasts. I'd always been a fan of podcasts, but it was never anything that I knew I would want to put forth any effort. And it came out of nowhere for Impotable because me and a bunch of people were talking on a thread of like, you know, that 60s Mission Impossible show is really good. And it's kind of strange that that's like one of a franchise that has the same continuity that has been alive since like 1966. And nobody is like, oh, well, Sam Elliott was in a season of Mission Impossible. Leonard Nimoy, uh, you know, everybody's like, that show with that guy from Airplane? And there's such a divide between the two fandoms of the uh, the TV show and the movies. And somebody brought up that it would be an interesting idea for a podcast. And me and my co-host, who we just ended up being like, yeah, I, I, do, I do a podcast like that. I do a podcast like that. And we both were like accusing each other of coming up with the idea only to find out that neither of us had. <laughs> uh, it was another guy in the thread named Gene Selassie, who is amazing. And we've had on the podcast in lost recordings somewhere out there. We started doing it and we started getting like really passionate about the format and the way how things work out. And we started ask for interviews and it's something where I talk enough about film that if you put a mic in front of me anyways you're you're gonna get something but I also have those ticks that anybody has those filler gaps that you have in conversation with people that don't sound great in a podcast so it's something you sort of develop over time as you probably know demand so that's how I got into podcasting. It was really just a way for my brain to escape during the pandemic. Mm. Not that we're not still during the pandemic, but we're in a different stage. We're in the third act of the pandemic and we're hoping there's not a fourth act. Yeah, I really hope this is the third act and we're done. We're done. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, uh, can we just uh, not do a sequel to this? Question number two. What do you wish you had known when you started out? This is going to sound really selfish. Don't feel like you owe somebody anything when you're doing this, mainly people who you have on as guests. And now this isn't always the case. I was working for a site that would often do a raffle of like who would get to be on each episode and stuff. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was something where I thought, Hmm, this is the way how it's always done, right? Everybody just sort of like, it, it becomes a free-for-all grab bag. But once I stopped having that mentality, which took a while to get out of because it was just what I knew as the norm, selecting interesting 
guests and interesting people for it, for your episode and finding people who legitimately have like, it doesn't even have to be something positive to say or something negative to say, but a take on something, something interesting in general, that that's a big part of it. I would, I would say that's the biggest thing. Starting out, I wish I was a little more selective and a little more confident in my gut instincts mm. because you have this mentality of like, okay, well, a lot of people run podcasts and this is blah, blah, blah. This is how this is normally done. But the only way you're going to break out is if you break from the norm. I mean, I'm saying this is probably the third most popular Mission Impossible podcast out here which I will wear as a badge of honor because we're the unpopular boys. But it's something that the more I get into it, the more you have to like have that room to experiment and be creative. Otherwise, you're going to find yourself doing the same stuff for a while. Remove things that don't work out. To me, it's the only way the idea can stay alive. And it's the only reason why we are on such a long hiatus. I apologize, guys. We have episodes of the can. They just need to be edited. And we just need to get started on it. But I want to deliver a great season for you guys. And I feel like if we don't have that creativity break, we're going to lose it all together. It's important to take those breaks for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. When did you learn this lesson? Like when you're talking about following your gut and trusting your gut versus feeling like you owe somebody. When did you make that shift? There are some aspects to it that really... As we started to really realize that we were cooking with gas, because you start off, you're like, okay, well, we're just some people fucking around with a microphone, you know, we're, we're just talking about an old show that nobody's heard of. Once you start to realize that like people are listening to you and, you know, people are anxious for the next episode and that there's an audience that you've built you got to stop being responsible. You got to stop being a beholden to People that, I, I mean, I'm grateful for anybody who will give time to me to be on a mic, but I also need to, in my head, and this is something that I haven't articulated yet, you, you almost got to just say, why not? Like, okay, I have this idea, why not do it right now? Like, okay, we started off the past couple episodes and this is our formula. Why not break the formula a little bit? Why are we feeling like we need to be beholden to like, I don't know, I, we started doing interviews and those interviews I was never expecting to get. They were interviews that I, when I look back at it, I still can't believe I was on a Zoom call with some of the people that we've talked to. But the more I listened to them, I think to myself, I'm not just going to be an interview podcast, A. B, I'm not just going to be uh a full-on Mission Impossible podcast. I don't know. There is this mentality. You have these self-limiting ideas that you have towards yourself. Like, okay, well, I need to stick with this guest because we had talked about it two years ago, and this is what we're going to do. But if you meet somebody new who has a take, that doesn't necessarily mean that you still owe it to that guest that you had lined up. It's something where all it takes is like, I don't know, it, it sounds like I'm flaking on people. What I'm just trying to say is that you just need to be open to new ideas. And it, it's something that accumulated over time. It's something where I had to start rewriting my brain to work on allowing people. You need to be open to not just your own new ideas, but new ideas as a whole. 
Okay. But yeah, that it, it's hard to pinpoint a moment, but that's uh, that to me was the moment. Question number three. What is your go-to order at your favorite hometown restaurant? So this is tough because I used to live in Kenosha, which was affectionately called Kenoware. At first was famous for being an hour away from Milwaukee and Chicago. Now it's famous for uh, racial violence, which not great. Not, not a huge fan of Kenosha as of this moment, although I have a lot of great memories there. But this is the best way to start my answer. What would be my favorite food for my favorite restaurant there? There's a really great cafe there called uh, Daily Dose. I'm not sure that I would call them my favorite restaurant there, but I'm going to go with it. They're my favorite restaurant there for the, for the sake of sake. And they've got this amazing sweet potato and chorizo hash that is just to die for. With wow. Chipotle aioli. Ooh, baby. That sounds good. <laughs> that sounds so delicious. Good. So good. I'd never heard of sweet potatoes and chorizo being put together until that moment, and I've fallen in love. It's like, where have you been? I have completely missed this. Where have you been all my life? <laughs> Question number four. What are you curious about? So many things. <laughs> I, I find myself on like often weird rabbit holes is what I call it or wormholes on the internet. When, when you find out about something that you find not just perplexing, but baffling, it's a tough thing for me to articulate because I'm curious about so much. Mm. I mean, that's half of what mission impossible is. Cause I've never seen every episode of mission impossible. I'm not some expert on it. I'm an archeologist. Me and Aaron sort of have that as our, our coda where we go through these movies or these old episodes and we try and like, not necessarily give them the lens of like, Hey, I'm the hugest fan of this and hear my manifesto on it. We more just are like, there's an episode where they all take LSD sugar cubes. What? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. Season one, uh, episode like 18 called like a cube of sugar. And that's season one. We got an episode this upcoming season where Martin Landau poses as Adolf Hitler inside of a man's dream, like a fake dream. Like they inception this dude, but they like have to create a situation that seems like it's running on dream logic and fumes. That is wild. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. And, and they don't stop. That's what's crazy. There's one where there's this racist prison owner like i don't know some sort of prison guard and he wakes up one morning and he's an african-american man like that's that's the the premise and it's a dude in awful like you know 1967 blackface but it's one of those that like so all of this is canon up against tom cruise jumping off of buildings and stuff you know it's it's interesting to be like okay so this is where this started and this is where this is going. I don't know. It, it's it's fascinating to me. I find myself in a lot of internet rabbit holes. That's what makes me curious. Mainly just curios make me curious. Which... Curiosity, curiosity makes you curious. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's not the best answer, but it's all I got. It's definitely more film centric than anything. Okay. Okay. Uh, because uh, I'm often thinking about movies, but there are also um, 
don't know, more trends. Trends make me curious. Also, uh, things that like hit the zeitgeist. Mm. Like I, I find it interesting because we do a little patron series called Cruise Control, where we talk about Tom Cruise's filmography as a whole. And he's got an interesting one, to say the least. But the fact that like a movie like Vanilla Sky, which is like this sort of heady uh, remake of a foreign film, was able to come out in like 2000 and I think just 2000 or 2001. It's released, makes $200 million in its like entire gross, doesn't come out to like super stellar reviews and is only advertised just with a picture of Tom Cruise's face. And then you look at like now where like Ryan Gosling stars in a Blade Runner sequel and that can flop, mm. you know? Just, just trends, the way how society managed to accept things, the acceptance of weird norms, you know? Question number five. What should I ask you that I didn't know enough to ask? Something that people find interesting when they find out about me, but it's something that they have to find out about me casually through dropping stuff. Okay. Uh, Demond. <laughs> Ask me how many siblings I have. How many siblings do you have? The oldest of 10. Damn! Yeah, it, that's a lot of different personalities, but it, it's just something that like, for some odd reason, whenever it comes up, people are like, wow. Yeah, that that's the best one I could think of because it's always something where, uh, you know, it, it blows people's mind, even though that's not the most amount of siblings anybody's ever had, but I'm, I'm a decently young guy. I'm pretty energetic, uh, despite feeling like an old man most of the time. So it's just a, it's a weird thing. Being the oldest, you, you, I would assume you had more responsibility with caring for your siblings and things like that and helping for out sure. your parents. What was that like and how has that helped you as an adult, if it has? There are a lot of different things to it. So more responsibility, yes less power I guess if you could say it like that I mean there's that mentality of like okay so I'm taking care of the kids for a while Madison you need to go to your room they're like well you're not my dad it's like I know I'm not your dad I just can't I don't have any other way to like how, how do I like handle down the line it's it's a weird thing because that's something that I don't have fully mastered as like a leader even though I am I lead a ton of different podcasts and I'm when people are like, okay, well, when are we doing this recording? I'm like, I don't know when, it, when is it good for you? You know, sort of <laughs> mentality where another thing is fighting to have your voice be heard in, in a group of a lot of loud kids. Another thing is learning how to eventually try and get sleep. <laughs> I'll, I'll have a lot of like first time dads talk to me and they'll be like, you know what? Uh, you, you're never going to know what it's like to like all the changing of the diapers, all the not getting any sleep. I'm like, nope, nope. Knew what that like <laughs> was like starting at age five. But I, I'm not sure how it really, it, unless we're going into full psychology mode, how it influences my podcast outside of like finding your voice and trying to make sure that it's heard mm. over people. It also dealing with nine other different personalities helped me become more of a people person mm. when I would for a lot of times I would say I'm an extroverted introvert where I, I like my me time 
there if i'm going to go see a movie i want to see it alone for the most part but it's something where i can pretty much talk to anybody mm-hmm. i can't think of anybody who i would have trouble to i mean i'm me and you and we're we're talking about my life and all that and i'm getting personal i'm not getting standoffish but it's something where there's a confidence that comes into it but also uh, a bravery humble brag i'm i'm brave and confident uh no it's just it's something that you you have to know how to have your voice stand out and that's something that i had to learn really early on in my life and that is an important skill now that you know everybody and their mother can get can have a podcast yeah no, well, definitely i always say like uh well i'm a white dude running a podcast all i need is a home brewing set and i'm perfectly set i'm gonna start <laughs> making my tepid pale ale question number six if you could create a new holiday what would it commemorate this is the weirdest answer and it's the first thing that pops in my head only because i'll always i'll always say it all the time uh is like my hot take that uh, i think samuel jackson is our greatest living actor and I think that we undervalue him too much, despite the fact that he is in everything ever made. I, I would like Samuel Jackson to have a national holiday, mainly because like all I could think about watching Hateful Eight in the theater mm-hmm. was like, you know, this is Sam Jackson being Sam Jackson. But we're going to look back at this after he passes on in like 2457 or whatever. I, you know. Whenever he ends up passing on, we're going to just think to ourselves, we undervalued him as an actor and as a talent, because if this were a first time performance by anybody, this would be like a best actor hands down. Wow. And he's somebody who works so often, delivers every time, never doesn't. I almost debated doing a podcast on all of Sam Jackson's filmography, then realized that was a bigger, uh, (laughs) that would have been a huge overtaking. But yeah, so on the spot for your sixth question, Sam Jackson Day. I'll I'll take Sam Jackson Day. That is fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like you look at like any movie that he's in and he's never not bringing it. Like he talked in an interview about how he had his worst experience ever working on Kong Skull Island. And I'm like, it did not show one bit. Wow. Wow. My, uh, my sister, when she was, when we were in college, my sister was the fan, the, uh, president of the unofficial Samuel L. Jackson fan club at, at her school. Solidarity. Solidarity. So when you said Samuel Jackson, I'm like, I am, I'm in, I'm in, man. Yeah, I got That's my bad motherfucker wallet that I bought my friend one day. <laughs> Actually, fun fact that I'll tell on the podcast because I rarely ever talk about this story. I was biking one day in Kenosha and I dropped my wallet right before I was about to move to Austin. And I was so like distraught and everything. And then I got a call saying like, hey, somebody's picked up your wallet. It's over at the police station. And I went over to the police station and I was talking to the lady at the front and I'm like, excuse me, there's a, there's a brown wallet uh, that somebody has picked up. Uh, it says bad motherfucker. And you know, like, so, so I like went over it and they're like, there is no wallet like that here. Nobody picked that up. I'm like, well, I'm sure somebody has it because I had it. And they're like, well, what does it say on it again? I'm like, it's the one that says bad motherfucker. Uh, and I just had to keep like repeating it. And I'm like, 
it's right here underneath the desk. They handed it back to me. And that the amount of cash that I had in there was gone, which is whatever, you know, I'm sure. like, at least I have it. Right. Uh, Cause my social security card was in there, which geez, but yeah, that's your, your weird tidbit. I, I know there was like some story about some Denny's that got robbed and some dude had a wallet. That's a bad motherfucker. And he did the scene from Pulp Fiction and apparently found like the two people who got into a life of crime who had never seen <laughs> Pulp Fiction. But, but that's my, it's the one that says bad motherfucker story. <laughs> <laughs> it was really strange just being like a, a kind of like, you know, relaxed white dude walking in there being like, uh, yeah, my uh, wallet says uh, bad motherfucker on it. Uh, it. You guys picked it up uh, the, the other day. And then it, I was expecting they'd be like, okay, yeah, we have it. Here you go. But but then it became like a whole, we we don't have it here. Here, let's get two more officers on this right now. <laughs> like, you know, they were, t- you know, after you left, they're like, He's, he, this guy's going to carry around a wallet says bad motherfucker on it. Yeah, I know. It, it, it always throws people off guard, especially if like somebody... Usually it'll be like, hey, would you like to donate to our church? And I'll pull it out. I'll be like, uh, when I don't have cash, it's like the best way to like, it reminds me of like that season of Curb where uh, Larry David wore a MAGA hat so that he didn't have people interact with him at all. Oh my gosh. <laughs> where I'm just like, oh, I'm sorry. I don't see any cash in here. Um, Here, it's <laughs> not that I wouldn't donate to a church, but to, uh, to specify to my listeners, not the Church of Scientology, because I've uh, had that accusation leveled on me. Yeah, not, not, a, not a huge fan of uh, Cruz's personal life stuff. Uh, great actor, though. We've all got our stuff. There was one guy who was like, I'm only a fan of his personal life. <laughs> I want to meet them. <laughs> I want them on the show, for real. I'm like, <laughs> I want to hear this. So what do you think about him jumping down on the cap? Jumping up and down on the cap? I'm only a fan of Dan Aykroyd's whiskey. Or vodka. It's cold vodka. Thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. No problem, man. And thank you once again for tuning in for Demond Does. And if you could take a quick minute, if you hadn't already, please go on to your favorite podcast app and leave a review. Leave a five-star or the highest number of stars that you can give so more people can see the show. That's how it gets seen. So, until next time, see it, hear it, speak it, live.